Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adoran Talk Sports. I'm your host, Anaru himself, and welcome back to the week four review of the NFL 2022 season. It's time. We've gotten a quarter of the way through the season. Storylines, ideas, the teams themselves are starting to develop. And one thing that we have learned is that everybody is mid. That about sums it up. I feel like, and I'm doing this without actually looking at the standings, I feel like 75% of the league is 2-2. Two and two. And I'm not even sure if that's mathematically possible, but it definitely does feel like that. Almost every team is kind of in that eh type of zone, which is, you know, sort of what you want to see. You want to see parity in the league. You want to see teams that are, are able to beat each other at any point. On the other hand, it becomes incredibly difficult for you to determine whether or not your predictions are going correct if you're in that sort of business, like I sort of am, kind of. Basically, I'm looking back at the original predictions I made prior to the season beginning and just kind of have like a huh sort of uh, idea about most of the teams and most of the players that I expected to do good or not good and vice versa. So that's great. But we might as well dive into the week four summary right here, right now. Let's go. Let's start off with Thursday night football. The Miami Dolphins taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals come away with a 27-15 victory. And there's a couple of notes that are taken from this game. Let's start off with the most obvious and biggest thing. The injury to Tua is significant. Obviously, he's uh, already been expected not to play next week's game. And the overall situation behind it has caused a lot of controversy. Controversy. I don't know why I said it like that. A lot of controversy and a lot of uh, situational situations i guess behind the coaching staff the management team why was two out there in this game why was two out there in the week three game against the bills why was this entire situation happening the way that it was happening very very uh there's a lot behind it is the best way to describe it and rather than go in depth with that because i uh unlike many people that i that do this sort of thing for a living uh, I a, am doing this for a hobby as of now and B don't have insider information. So it's kind of hard for me to pick and make claims about the behind the scenes stuff without any information. I don't want to sit here and start spreading rumors about all sorts of things. Needless to say, I'm glad that the NFL and NFLPA have started to already make adjustments and changes to the protocol regarding concussions and everything like that. And going forward, I think it's going to be more likely that they treat these things with the respect respect maybe not as the right with the uh the caution i guess that it rightfully deserves especially with the type of injuries and the scary situation that it was so hopefully a this doesn't happen again i'm never wishing for injuries regardless of the team or regardless of the player and b if it does happen i hope that the situation gets better and the protocols and everything are improved as it seems like it's trending in that direction as for the game itself, the Dolphins, uh, prior to Tua's injury, uh, were pretty competitive with the Bengals. Once he left and Teddy Bridgewater came in, uh, the Dolphins still were able to drive down the field, though it did feel like there was a slight step down. The big takeaway I want to take is with the Cincinnati Bengals. They're starting to look like they're back to what the expectation of the Bengals were. Uh, now, granted, they are 2-2, two and two, but in their division itself, that's actually not too bad in the grand scheme of things. Uh... In the, in the division right now, three of the four teams are two and two. The Browns, Ravens, and Bengals are all two and two. Steelers are one and three right now. And so as a result, they were able to get through all their issues early on, and now we're just right back at the top with everybody else in that division. 
this is obviously important for them to, you know, take this and build on this going forward. And also, I think one thing that's an interesting note, uh, Burrow was sacked, I think, 13 times in the first two games of the season. That's not great. The offensive line was a big issue going, you know, from last season. That's why you could point to that as the big reason why they lost the Super Bowl this season. It's steadily improved. Now, again, first two weeks, 13 sacks, not ideal. The last two weeks, however, I think Burrow's been sacked only three times, which is a significant improvement, right? Three sacks a game, or three sacks every two games, so one and a half sacks a game, is much better, much more of a reasonable thing. I think if you have one and a half sacks a game, that's about 25, 26 sacks in the season. That's what you want to be at, right? Around that mark, not the, you know, 85 or something that they were projected to get. So steadily improving we'll see if that carries over going forward but at least the Bengals the offensive line has been able to keep Burrow up and then from there the the star players you know Jamar Chase one guy obviously but T Higgins and uh Joe Mixon and other players are starting to come back into form here from Thursday night football we go to Sunday morning football and I'm talking early morning as we have our first international game of the season, the Minnesota Vikings take on the New Orleans Saints, and the Vikings come away with a 28-25 victory, though it almost could have gone to overtime. A 61-yard field goal by Will Lutz of the Saints nearly goes in, uh, the classic and the common terminology of double doink for that field goal uh, leads to the Saints losing this game. The Saints have struggled recently. There are... You could always make the argument, well, if this play goes this way, then maybe that's a difference. Like if, if that field goal goes in or, you know, if it, yeah, if the field goal goes in, basically, then that goes into overtime and the Saints could be able to come back and win from there, thus giving them a 2-2 record and everything's calm and dandy. The Vikings would have a 2-2 two and two record and people would be wondering, okay, maybe they're not as good as we think. Uh, but the Vikings do come away with the victory here. And I think it's sort of the, the teams they, that came into this game left in about the same place that I thought they would be. The Vikings look pretty cool. Justin Jefferson finally uh, shows up after being somewhat under the radar over the past couple of weeks and now remembers, I'm saying this as if this is actually what Justin Jefferson is thinking, uh, but he remembered who he is and was like, oh yeah, let me just get back into form and that second half was particularly good. And then for the Saints, uh, defensively they're doing just about as well as expected. Offensively though, it's been kind of odd. Andy Dalton starts this week instead of James Winston due to an injury, and he's he was able to drive down the field. He scored a lot of points. Clearly, his 25 points a game is nothing to, to necessarily scoff at, but it's still not great. And the offensive output of this team has taken a pretty, not significant drop-off, but has been, hasn't quite been to the expectations that we had coming into the season, even though Sean Payton has left. I think, uh, at least I probably underappreciated how much Sean Payton does towards the offense. And we'll see if that's just early season stuff or if that's actually part of the Saints problem going forward. Four weeks is not necessarily where I like to make my official claims like, ah, yes, I know what this team is, what the what this team isn't. But it's more of the, all right, let me start writing this down in pencil and see if I if I feel like this is good. I can always erase it, but, you know, this, the Saints in this case, uh, not great in this week when... Uh, looking at it offensively, and overall, this season has been kind of eh. The next game, an upset that I didn't see happening, but I'm very intrigued about. The Atlanta Falcons beat the Cleveland Browns 23-20. to A very interesting game here. Are the Falcons actually competitive? It's, it's weird. The Falcons are, and this is way too early, and this is not actually what I think, but the Falcons are kind 
kind of given me, I, I mentioned this earlier this season, I was talking about how the Falcons kind of give me last year Detroit vibes of how they are, they're sort of competitive with everybody. If you want to take that to the highest level, they're giving me last year Bengal vibes. Now, before you all start going on Twitter at a Duran region and start being like, this man actually thought the Falcons are the Bengals of last year. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is like the Lions last year, like the Bengals last year, they can come out and surprise you every now and then beating a pretty competitive Cleveland Browns team 23 to 20 off of a good game overall by the entire team. Uh, I think Kyle Pitts in particular had some uh, highlight moments. Oh, no, I was just looking. I was mixing up last week and this week. Um, not offensively on the passing game, but on the rushing game, they had a lot of uh, a lot of production, whether, whether it was uh, Al, Algier. I think it's Algier. Algier, who had uh, 10 carries for 84 yards. Hundley had 10 carries for 56 yards. Cordell Patterson had 9 carries for 38 yards, although it does look like he's on injury reserve right now. Uh, a very heavy rushing attack. Overall, 35 attempts for 202 yards. To add on to uh, Mariota, who didn't do a lot on the passing game, um, but they were able to combine that with a solid defensive effort and uh, the last-minute, of course, uh, interception that Perset threw to seal the game uh, Alford with that interception there for the Falcons leads them to this upset victory. And I'm, it, it's one of those teams that's like, I'm I'm sort of interested in seeing like, okay, maybe they do have something. Maybe this is going to be a little interesting to watch going forward. For Cleveland, uh, this doesn't quite fall into the Jets territory when it comes to that loss, but this is like a rough loss, especially considering uh, the fact that, you know, the Falcons weren't exactly expected to be this all-star caliber team. They're doing, they're, they're playing to their competition at least the perceived impression of the competition, right? Playing down to the Jets, letting them score in the last minute, um, nearly losing the game against the Panthers this game. So it's one of those things that maybe will get fixed up over time, but one of those, like, hmm, I, they got to make sure they collect wins now while they have the chance because my at least early expectation is when Deshaun Watson comes back, he'll be rusty because he hasn't played for two years. If he comes back in and is playing rusty, then those last season games when the games really matter and he's trying to collect all those final wins, uh, if, he, if he's playing rusty then, then you want to bank on the games that you had early on when everything was flowing properly, and that's now. So something they, they got to fix going forward. The next game on the list, the Buffalo Bills beat the Baltimore Ravens 23-20, to though that isn't necessarily what would have been the case. Of course, everyone is talking about the final few minutes of the game where Ravens are down relatively close to the goal line. I think they had like five or six yards to go. Um, and the Ravens could have taken a field goal to, to, to take the lead at that point. And instead, John Harbaugh decides to go for it on fourth down. But unfortunately, Lamar Jackson throws an interception at that point, giving the Bills not only the possession, but also the opportunity to... Uh, uh, start from their own 20 as opposed to near the goal line and having that extra time right there. Uh, Bills are able to drive down the field. They eventually score the game-winning field goal uh, and winning this game against the Ravens. Now, despite that one play, I still think Lamar Jackson is doing fantastic. Uh, he himself had 11 carries for 73 yards on top of his 20 for 29 uh, in the completion side of things. Um Josh Allen doing normal Josh Allen things, 19 for 36, 213. Honestly, it's probably one of the the not as great games for him but the big thing was just that last play kind of flipped it and a lot of people have been wondering about that decision a lot of people disagree with the Harbaugh decision I personally don't I understand the argument uh 
this is Josh Allen we're talking about. And I feel like, and maybe I'm reading this the wrong way, but I kind of feel like this is just the opposite of the Nathaniel Hackett situation in week one. In in that game, if, uh, for those of us that feel like the NFL season is uh, way too long and can't remember everything, in the uh, week one game against the Seattle Seahawks, there's a few seconds left. And a few seconds? Actually, I, there might be more time than that. But nevertheless, it's fourth down, and Nathaniel Hackett sends out Brandon, Brandon McManus for a very long field goal attempt. I forget how long it was exactly, uh, if it was like NFL record length or not, but sends him out for a very long field goal attempt rather than attempt the fourth and five or so with Russell Wilson. And a lot of people were getting on Hackett's case saying, no, 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 you have Russell Wilson. And this is before, you know, the rest of the season where we feel like the Broncos offense isn't that great. You have Russell Wilson. If you have this probably Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, Super Bowl winner, has led multiple teams to deep playoff runs, if you have him, you give the ball to him. And they didn't do that, and people were getting on Hackett's case. This is sort of a similar situation, in my opinion at least, right? You have Lamar Jackson, a Hall of Fame caliber talent, at least. We'll see if he's continues the if he continues doing what he's doing here and has a little bit more playoff production, he's probably going to the Hall of Fame. This is one of those way too early takes that probably uh, either ages gracefully or doesn't. But either way, you have Lamar Jackson, probably one of, if not the most individually gifted quarterbacks ever, right? A combination of Vic Cunningham. McNabb, Josh Allen, uh, Patrick Mahone, just a bunch of, just throw every quarterback in a pile and give him the ability to run like a running back, and that's Lamar Jackson. You have him, and if you don't put the ball in his hands to win the game, you know what I mean? That's at least how I approached it. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Uh, there's a, a number of different factors, right? That Broncos game was nearing the end of the game. This one had about four and a half minutes left. Um, there are different types of quarterbacks, different styles of quarterbacks, there's different weapons, yada, yada, yada. The opponent they're facing is different, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like these two situations are nearly identical, and John Harbaugh did the thing that we expected Hackett to do, trust your quarterback. It didn't work, and now people are like, no, nah, you should have gone for the field goal, because then you would have won, ignoring the fact that you're facing the Buffalo Bills and one of the more potent offenses in the league, and the fact that a field goal would just lead to overtime, which just extends the game further, which I don't think necessarily helps the Ravens. I think the Ravens, uh, and this even carries over from last year, the Ravens are trying to be a team that wins in the regular game because the defense, especially last year, continuing this year, the longer the game goes, the more gas they get, and the more that other teams are able to exploit it, a la this game, where the Ravens look like they were, you know, heading to a dominant victory only to blow a significant lead at the end. The Dolphins game, of course, fourth quarter, 21-point comeback. So it feels like John Harper's like, okay, we got to win in the regular game, can't go into overtime. This doesn't help. I'm going to trust my quarterback. It didn't work in this case, but that's still something that I feel like, you know, I'm confused at the parity between the two. Like, I feel like both situations are the same. Anyway. Ravens end up falling in this game, but I still think they're one of the more talented teams in the league, and if they can kind of fix up their defense, or at least not be a sieve, then they'll be able to make some make some noise going forward. Offense is already clicking, I think, even this game. Uh, they're still they're still one of the best offenses in the game, especially with Lamar Jackson. Uh, Hill and Dobbins are coming back in. Gus Johnson's going to come back soon, I believe, and that just adds to that running attack. Pass receivers, DuVernay is great, Bateman's doing great, Mark Andrews is always one of the best tight ends in the game, and you can go from there. Uh, on the Bills' side of things, a rough game that they're able to come back from. The Dolphins game and this game first half were both kind of rough, but if they fixed it, they can go back to being the Buffalo Bills that are expected to, you know, take a sledgehammer to everybody in the league. So 
one of those things that I'm like, you know, okay, the Bills are struggling against teams that are on their caliber. That's sort of what we expected. I don't know if anyone actually expected them to go 17-0. and This is kind of what we expected them to be competitive with every team in the league and win against the teams that they're supposed to. Kind of doing that so far. Here we go. Upset alert, I think. I actually don't know about this. Uh, maybe people expected this. The Dallas Cowboys come away with a 25-10 victory over the Washington Commanders. I, uh, and you can check this out by following me on Twitter, at Adorin Region, at A-H-D-U-R-I-N Region, uh, predicted the Commanders to win, because I'm like, nah, Cooper Rush can't do this again, can he? I kind of did it again, I'm not going to lie. 15 of 27 for 223, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He has not turned over the ball once, I believe, in any of the games that he's played this season. Um... I don't know if that extends to the Vikings game. That would be kind of wild if Cooper Rush hasn't had an interception in his career yet. Um, let me look that up, actually. Okay, yeah, so he does have an interception from last year. So it's not, you know, he's not God, but he's <laughs> he's certainly uh, doing pretty much what the Cowboys expected him to do. Um, and I, I, I don't mean this in a demeaning way. I think that people should be looking for this and the fact that it's used as a demeaning term in the game is kind of ridiculous. Uh, but he is managing the game perfectly. And a lot of people are like, oh, he's a game manager. He's not a game, you know, advancer or whatever. Uh, no, I want you to manage the game. If you can manage the game, that's that's the ideal. And then if you can do anything else, that's extra, you know, that's icing on the cake. Nevertheless, Cooper Rush able to manage the game there. The run game, not particularly effective in this game. Uh, 29 attempts for 62 yards overall. Uh, really took advantage of the multiple interceptions and the pressure that they put on Carson Wentz, who again, sort of struggled in this game. One touchdown, two interceptions, uh, only 170 passing yards on 25 completions on 42 attempts too. That's kind of wild. The rush game was pretty effective though. Uh, kind of a well-balanced attack between Gibson, Williams, and McKissick. Um ending up 27 for 142, but we come back to the situation at hand. Dallas holding down the fort. Cooper Rush is going to probably continue to start. Uh, it's sort of expected that he's going to be playing against the Rams this upcoming game, and if he wins that game, I see no reason why he shouldn't continue. Um, QB controversy I don't think actually exists, barring Cooper Rush, you know, in the next two games against the Rams and Eagles, throwing, you know, 10 touchdowns, and, you know, a thousand yards, something ridiculous like that, maybe there's a QB controversy. But I think Cooper Rush is doing exactly what the Cowboys expect him to do, and the Cowboys are taking full advantage of the fact that they've got a guy who is playing lights out, doing exactly what's needed, and able to advance the, the Cowboys, keeping them on pace with the Giants and the Eagles so far this season. For the Commanders, they have quickly fallen to the bottom of the division. It's still early, there's still a chance, but they really do have to fix the issues that they've got. Number one is however the sacks are happening, whether it's because Carson Wentz holds on to the ball too long, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's the, the wide receivers not getting open, whatever it is, that has to get fixed because that's probably the biggest reason why they're struggling so far. While Wentz only got sacked twice, he was pressured a number of times in this game, leading to errant throws and, you know, Bland and Diggs able to get a couple of interceptions there. That cannot happen. That's that's about it, really. If you fix that issue, I think most of the other issues that the commanders have can kind of get fixed over time. But the biggest thing, I'm just circling that entire, like, from snap to two and a half seconds. They got to fix that section of their offense. The next game, I uh, this game was so much fun to watch, uh, even though nobody would have expected it. The Seattle Seahawks versus the Detroit Lions. Now, when you see this game on your schedule, you're thinking, oh, this is going to be one of them ugh, type of games. It's going to end, like, 12 to, you know, eight or something ridiculous like that. No, no, no. How, how about, why don't we just try, I don't know, 48 to 45, Seattle comes away with the victory. Both of these offenses are lights out. The Lions, I think, have the best offense in the game right now, uh, but they also have 
the worst defense in the game. So that's not great. Seattle is kind of a step lower. They're not as good offensively. They're not as bad defensively. And in this game, it turns out that's what exa- that's exactly what they needed. Um, Geno Smith, uh, the MVP case, is continuing. He was 23 of 30 in this game for 320 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I believe he has the highest completion percentage in the league right now. It's like an absurdly high percentage. Let's find out exactly what that is. Yeah, right now, Geno Smith has a 77% completion percentage, a 6 uh, six to 2, 3-1 to one touchdown interception ratio, quarterback rating of 108, has only been sacked six times, and he's rushing the ball as well. I didn't even realize that. He's not necessarily known as a big running guy, but 17 attempts for 64 yards and a touchdown isn't too bad. Uh, also only has one fumble, which is a fun fact that I noticed as well, which is basically Gino is doing uh, incredible things right now, especially for the expectation of Gino Smith. And everybody in Seattle is probably like, wait a minute, we're actually like decent. Adding to this, a really good running game, 33 attempts for 235 yards. Richard Penny had multiple uh, multiple big runs there, 17 attempts for 151 for him, including a huge 41-yard run uh, that basically broke open the game. Uh, and overall... The team has been very, very good. Um, DK Metcalf was impactful as well, had seven catches for 149 yards. Tyler Lockett, Disley, Parkinson, like everybody is just grabbing everything thrown their way. On Detroit's side, Jared Goff, like I've sort of suggested, kind of good. Um, you know, I think the, I'm not arguing that he's the, the next Aaron Rodgers or anything like that, but Goff, I think the expectation was that Goff was completely made and failed and all that because of Sean McVay. He rose to prominence because of Sean McVay, and he's not good without him. And I don't think that's quite the case. I think a lot of people look at this rookie season with Jeff Fisher and the offensive coordinator and all of that in that situation, and he wasn't good then. McVay comes in, Goff starts to grow up and become a pro bowler and everything like that. Um, but I definitely think he's better than most people expect in this game. 26 of 39, 378 yards, four touchdowns, only one interception, and... Uh, a rush game that was pretty impactful as well. A combination of Javante Williams and Craig Reynolds and Jackson and a few other players combined for 25 attempts, 145 yards on the ground. Hawkinson for the Lions had a huge game. The tight end had eight catches for 179 yards and two touchdowns. He basically was sensational. And adding on to that were players like Reynolds and Kennedy that had a couple of catches and some big yardage as well. Uh, Clearly the Lions are doing well offensively defensively is where they're losing all of these games and I think that uh Campbell I think recently suggested that they're going to take a deep look at the defensive line and not the line sorry the defensive scheme and plays and everything like that um I think that's a pretty good idea the fact of the matter is last season the offense was terrible Dan Campbell takes a look at it he starts calling his own plays he starts changing the things up working more with what the offense can do and they improve dramatically and this season are even better so if Campbell's going to take a look at the defense and he's able to put the same sort of change if the defense of the Lions is competent, this team can go and make a wild card push, honestly. Because uh, right now, I think they're probably a 500 team. Uh, they're going to be one of those teams that has to outscore everybody. And if the defense can be decent or even average, then that just makes things so much easier offensively. For Seattle, they've definitely exceeded expectations, especially Geno Smith. Um with a 500 record right now, like the rest of the NFC West, it's now going to come down to basically can they keep up with everybody else? The NFC West 
isn't as great as everyone expected. The Cardinals haven't really shown that sort of dominance that they had early last season. The Rams feel like they've taken a step back. The 49ers are back on Garoppolo, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Still not 100% sure yet. And so the Seahawks are like, well, okay, this this is kind of open right now. Why don't I try sneaking my way in and making a little bit of noise, which is what Seattle is trying to do right now. The next game on the list the I was about to say San Diego the LA Chargers and the Houston Texans go head to head the Chargers come away with a victory here they at one point had a 27 to 7 lead and then the Texans start making a little bit of noise in the late third and early and rest of the fourth quarter um but despite the little bit of a scare that occurred uh the Chargers are able to come away with a pretty dominant victory here uh on the Chargers side of things running game not terribly efficient and Justin Herbert had to carry most of the load here, 27 of 39 for 340 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Mike Williams, the big guy that was able to get a lot of the catches there, seven catches, 120 yards, um, and really just were able to take advantage of early mistakes made by the Texans. Uh, Mills, 26 of 35 for 246, two touchdowns, but two interceptions as well. That kind of really didn't help out in this game. Um, and the rushing game was impactful when they went to it but they got behind so quickly they couldn't continue to go through it damien pierce had uh it is damien pierce right pierce had 14 uh rushes for 131 yards including a 75 yard i think that was his touchdown run that was a mean run that was successful uh kind of what we expected right the chargers use this as a bounce back game the texans kind of put a scare in the chargers but ultimately aren't able to succeed there's not a lot to talk about in the situation uh chargers trying to keep up with everybody in the AFC West or more like trying to keep up with the Chiefs and make sure they don't fall the way that the Raiders Broncos have. Uh, and then the Texans in a pretty weak AFC South trying to make a little bit of noise here, unfortunately unable to do so in this game, but we'll see how they do next week. Speaking of that quote-unquote weak AFC South, we've got the Tennessee Titans taking on the Indianapolis Colts. The Titans come away with a 24-17 victory, pushing them up to 2-2 two and two, and I think at the top of the division um let me actually confirm that real quick oh well tied at the top of the division um because i don't think they played each other with the jaguars uh meanwhile the colts fall to one two and one uh now solidly third in the division themselves and this continues the trend that both of these teams have had especially very 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 recently this was the first true derrick henry run over people type of game he had 22 attempts for 114 yards and nine uh i was about to say 19 touchdowns and a touchdown his long was of uh 19 Tannehill was pretty effective himself 17 to 21 only 137 yards with two touchdowns no interceptions uh pretty decent pass the ball around when needed to if not and hand off to henry the big thing that i want to talk about the titans kind of did what they do um play style defense, run the ball, Tannehill can make the plays when he has to. This is more or less what we sort of expected from the Titans last season and this season as well. For the Colts, this was not great. Uh, really just not a great performance by them. The rushing game, 23 attempts, 38 yards. Jonathan Taylor had 20 attempts for only 42 yards himself, and he has not been great this season. Uh, not nearly the type of fantasy darling that uh, he was last season, and whether that's scheme or just the inability to get open and make plays or build a, a line because the offensive line has been rough for the Colts. Um, well, it remains to be seen. Maybe you'll be able to pick it up later. Matt Ryan, 27 of 37, 356 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Sounds okay. And then you kind of look at the the uh, the situation at hand. I think he's fumbled the ball a lot, and that's not ideal, obviously. Um, just not great I'm trying to look and see if there's, yeah, there's multiple fumbles in this game, the interception, uh, 
and just couldn't take advantage of the opportunities that the Titans did give them whenever that was the chance, especially in that third quarter where uh, the Titans were constantly punting. That was opportunities at that point, and the, tit- and the Colts, sorry, couldn't just uh, capitalize on it. Ryan has fumbled a lot this season, um, and he's not necessarily known as a guy that fumbles a lot. Uh, Daniel Jones, for example, is a guy that, and part of that is how he plays, right? He's running a little bit more. Uh, Ryan isn't exactly a huge fumble guy, and the fact that he has been doing so so much this season is kind of concerning. Um, and the offensive line, the offensive line just looks not great. And the Colts have been priding themselves on the offensive line for the past half decade, right? Whether it was Andrew Luck or Philip Rivers or Jacoby Brissett or Carson Wentz behind there, there was a stout offensive line to help. It sort of feel, feels like they're they're kind of not past their prime necessarily, but just go a little bit on the downturn. Whether this is like the drop off or just like a small valley remains to be seen. But it's one of the things they have to fix that. The whole idea was that Matt Ryan could stand behind his offensive line and dissect the defense. If he keeps getting sacked, getting hit a lot, fumbling the ball as a result, then that just goes against everything the expectation was for the Colts. So that has to be something they improve upon. Otherwise, the Colts are going to stick in that third or fourth place spot in this division. Next up, a weird game, not necessarily for the reason you might expect. The New York Giants beat the Chicago Bears 20-12. to in a continuation of both of these teams doing what they do best. Um, for for the Giants, that's a good thing. For the Bears, not so much. Um, let's start off with the Giants. Uh, Daniel Jones, 8 of 13 for 71 yards before getting, a I think it was a high ankle sprain or an injury to his ankle. Uh, so he leaves. Tyra Taylor comes in for a couple of plays and then eventually gets out with a concussion. And so Saquon Barkley becomes the Wildcat quarterback for a bit. Daniel Jones, one thing you cannot deny, Jones has guts. Uh, he goes out there and continues to play. Basically, let me hand the ball off and step as far away from people that can tackle me as possible um, in the latter half of the game. And Barkley took full advantage. 31 attempts in this game for 146 yards. Uh, the team as a whole uh, totaled 44 attempts on the ground for 262 yards. Part of that is Daniel Jones with six attempts, uh, 68 yards. And then early in the game before his injury, ran for a couple touchdowns. Uh, Tyra Taylor had a couple of runs, Matt Burita had a couple of runs, and so basically just everybody was on the, the ground today, especially when both of the quarterbacks got injured, so not a lot on the passing side of things for them. And then the Giants are able to play pretty good defense against the Bears. They didn't get a huge rushing attack, they were okay. Uh, Khalil Herbert had 19 carries for 77 yards, Justin Fields ran 7 times for 52 yards, and the team as a whole, 32 attempts, 149. Uh, Fields in the passing game, 11 for 22 for 174 yards, no touchdowns or interceptions, also got sacked 6 times, which is not ideal, and frankly, that sort of summarizes the Bears as a whole this season. The wins have kind of been... I don't want to say in spite of Justin Fields, in spite of the offense, I think, in general. Uh, the wins have been in spite of the offense, and the losses have generally been because of the offense, right? That kind of summarizes it. The defense, I think, has been pretty solid this season for the Bears. Um, but offensively, they just cannot go down the field and score at all. And the Giants move up to 3-1, and one, keeping pace with the highly competitive NFC East. The Bears fall to 2-2 two and two on their side of things and um, are slightly behind the Packers and Vikings, who both have a 3-1 and record. Next game on the list, the Philadelphia Eagles take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Eagles continue their trend of being the only team undefeated in the league, a 29-21 victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the returning coach, Doug Peterson, of course famous for being the Philadelphia Eagles head coach for a period of time and also leading them to their only Super Bowl victory. This did not look like that was going to be the case. It looked like Jacksonville was about to run over Philadelphia out of nowhere. Uh, a pick six uh, by uh, on Jalen Hurts by, I want to make sure I 
get it right to uh let me make sure that i got this right by cisco that's right uh by Cisco of the Jaguars, uh, was able to get a pick six on the play that started off the the scoring drive, following drive for Jacksonville. They're able to score again. 14-0 lead in the first quarter makes it feel like, uh-oh, is this where the Eagles fall? Jacksonville has been kind of frisky. And then second quarter Eagles happens. If you don't know, the second quarter Eagles are when they put down all the points. Philadelphia scores 20 unanswered points in that second quarter and then proceeds, I believe, to score 29 all 29 of their points unanswered at a certain point before Jacksonville was able to put up another touchdown at the uh, end of the game to kind of make things slightly more competitive. Uh, but Philadelphia, once they they got used to everything, whether it was the rain or because this was a pretty heavy rain game, especially midway through the game, uh, whether it was rain or other factors, uh, finally got like, hey, let me let me fix this up. And we got this. And they did. Uh We'll start off with the Eagles. Hurts, not a dominating performance as he's had in previous games. This is probably his quote-unquote worst game of the season, though not necessarily anything to scoff at. 16 to 25 for 204 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, uh, but was impactful on the ground, especially him and Miles Sanders. Sanders had a career game here, 27 attempts for 134 yards and two touchdowns. Hertz had 16 attempts for 38 yards, including one touchdown of his own. Add Kenneth Gainwell, who had five carries, 19 yards, and a touchdown means four rushing touchdowns in this game. And uh, on the receiving end, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, all pretty impactful in the limited amount of pass attempts that they had. On the Jacksonville side of things, the rush game not particularly big. They kind of got away from it at a certain point. Um, though really th- there wasn't a lot of plays in general that Jacksonville had, uh, eventually leading for the entire rushing attack being 19 attempts for 71 yards. Trevor Lawrence, 11 for 23, 174 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. The Jaguars were driving down the field. They were near, the near if not in the red zone, and then kind of a forced pass leads to a James Bradbury interception by the Eagles, who has been a uh, fantastic player in the first couple of weeks of the season for Philadelphia. Um, Jamal Agnew was probably the biggest guy you want to recognize here. He had a significant impact, four catches, 50 yards, and two touchdowns, made some decent plays. Uh, decent is under it. He made some very good plays on both of those touchdowns, and it was impactful in the return game as well, as he is all the time. Overall, Jacksonville able to put up a fight against Philadelphia, but Philadelphia survives once again, and now comes the stretch where we start to like really get into, hey, wait a minute, Philadelphia might get off a few run, you know, a couple of games here and there, right? Uh, I, I, I would not be surprised if Philadelphia continues their winning ways. Uh, they come up against the Cardinals next week, then follow that up with a highly anticipated matchup against the Cowboys, Steelers, Texans, Commanders, the next few games after that. So I'm not saying that they're going undefeated, because of course that would be ridiculous to predict, but... As an Eagles fan, as I probably mentioned at least once an episode, I'm not going to complain if they go undefeated. Uh, of course, as, as long as I cap it off with a Super Bowl win. You know, but this is me being biased. All the same, Jacksonville, great effort in this game, and I can definitely see why they're on top of the AFC South. Probably the most consistent team of the four AFC South members, though the Titans are starting to get back into things. The next game, a surprise, maybe? Probably. I would say it's a surprise. The New York Jets come away with a victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers 24-20 in what was, at least early on, kind of an ugly game on both teams' part. Uh, Zach Wilson coming back for the first time this season. Stats-wise, 18 of 36, 252, a touchdown, two interceptions. That doesn't look great, but I think he was... Pretty good in the first half, and then really good in the second half, uh, able to get that uh, 
the, the last drive to make some big plays and eventually lead the the uh, Jets to a win. Uh, the rushing attack wasn't particularly big, 29 attempts for 98 yards, no one really spectacular, uh, though Bryce Hall is probably the headline running back, 17 for 66. Um, pass targets, you know, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Conklin, Wilson, all had some significant impact in the passing game, but uh, really it was kind of the lack of offense on the Steelers' side that led to this sort of loss here. Trubisky starts off 7 for 13, 84 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick, and that kind of kind of led to the change. And so Kenny Pickett comes into the game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He is not worse, uh, maybe, depends on how you see it. 10 of 13 for 120 yards sounds pretty good. Oh, that's only three incompletions? No, he, the, the, they weren't incompletions. They were all interceptions. He had three interceptions in the game leading to a to overall stat line, four interceptions for the Pittsburgh Steelers. The rush game, somewhat impactful, 31 rushes for 119 yards total, highlighted by Najee Harris's 18 for 74. Uh, just a lot of interceptions on both sides, and kind of kind of an ugly game, I think, sort of. Uh, but the Jets were able to get that one drive that you need near the end of the game. That's that one thing that you got to do, uh, eventually leading to a, uh, a touchdown for the Jets at the end of the game few seconds remaining, not able to do much, and that pretty much sums it up there. Steelers are in fourth place in the division, though only one game back as we're still early in the season, and really going to have to hope that Kenny Pickett can uh, go up against the, the tough competitors that they got going up in the next couple of weeks. I think they face the Bills next week, so Pickett's going to get thrown into the fire here. We'll see if he's able to contribute. Uh, on the Jets side of things, a very good win here. They've got multiple wins this season, which is already more than some people expected in the first four weeks, right? I think people were probably expecting the Jets to be the last place team in the AFC East, as I probably predicted them to be. But they've been, you know, they've been pretty competitive overall uh, with the with the teams that they've gone up against, being the Browns and the Steelers. They're finally done with their AFC North gauntlet. Now they can go face other teams, and we'll see how they're going to do against them. We move on now. Arizona faces Carolina. Arizona comes away with a 26-16 victory over the Carolina Panthers. Uh, this was kind of kind of a rough game on the Panthers' part. Uh, Baker Mayfield, 22 of 36 for 197, one touchdown, two interceptions, and a lot of those incompletions were balls that were batted down at the line of scrimmage. J.J. Watt had multiple blocks, and I think that overall defenses have been able to block a lot of Baker Mayfield's passes, significantly more than you might have expected. And I'm not sure if that's just how Baker's throwing it, or maybe they're they're reading something in his eyes, or whatever it is, uh, but that's not great there. The rushing attack was non-existent, 13 total carries across running backs, and uh, the quarterback and wide receivers and all that. 13 carries for 40 yards. Pass game wasn't particularly impactful either. Christian McCaffrey and uh, DJ Moore were the highlights there with nine and six catches respectively for 81 and 50 yards. Uh, McCaffrey with the touchdown pass there. On the Cardinals' side, it's a kind of ho-hum game for them. 23 of th or 32 is Kyler Murray for 207, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, the rush game was pretty uh, decent as well. 37 carries for 132 yards total, highlighted by James Connors, 15 for 55, and Kyler Murray's 12 for 26. Uh, and then the pass game, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown had a big game, six catches, 88 yards, uh, and a touchdown. Zach Ertz was impactful as well. There's not a lot I can say about this game that isn't what we expected. The Cardinals kind of took care of business, business here, um, especially without DJ, uh, DJ DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, who's going to be coming back in a couple of weeks. And the Panthers offensively have struggled and defensively haven't been able to hold the other teams to a, you know, 2000s Ravens type of level, which is kind of, you know, not surprising considering that's one of the best defenses in the game. 
ever. Uh, and the Panthers kind of need that in order to win these games. Uh, they've struggled. I think Matt Rule um, is not, his record is not great at all if the opposing team scores 17 points, which is, you know, significantly below average. So that's not ideal for the Carolina Panthers, and already there's some rumblings like, hey, is the QB change going to happen? What's going to be the situation there? Something that Carolina is going to have to watch out for. Arizona kind of continues their thing. Keep going from there. The next game, Green Bay Packers take on the New England Patriots and sneak away with a 27-24 victory that Aaron Rodgers describes as not ideal. Uh, I'm sort of uh, summarizing what he was saying. Basically like, hey, we can't win games like this all the time. We gotta we gotta shore things up. Because uh, sure enough, they do have to shore things up. Rodgers, 21-35, two touchdowns, one interception. I believe that interception was a pick six. Um, so that's not great. The rush game was pretty impactful, though. 35 attempts for 199 yards. Aaron Jones had 16 for 110. AJ Dillon, 17 for 73. And was pretty good overall from there. The pass-catching side, Lazar, Dobbs, Cobb. You know, your standard targets had significant games. Lazard had six catches for 116 yards uh, as the big highlight pass catcher there. For the Patriots, Brian Horry starts off five for six, 37 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, and then gets injured. So uh, Bailey Zappi comes into play, 10 of 15, 99 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, and was actually making this game somewhat competitive. Now it could be because of the rush attempts that the Patriots had, 33 attempts for 167 yards, a balanced attack between Harris and Stevenson. Uh, or it could be the fact that the defense was playing significantly good. The pick six certainly helps when it comes to scoring points. Um, and overall, the Patriots put up a significant fight, which is m more than you can say, considering that they're on their third string quarterback with Mac Jones out. Kind of agree with Rodgers here that the Packers can't continue to win games like this. They won barely against the Buccaneers. They won here in overtime barely against the New England Patriots on the Mason Crosby field goal. They got to shore things up. The Packers have been able to win but not at the same dominant level that they have for the past few seasons, right? Uh, it's, it's This is the first season that halfway through, I'm not expecting them to get 13 wins as they did the past three seasons, right? And each of those seasons, you're like, okay, these, this team is going to cruise to double-digit wins. This season, it looks like it's more of a struggle. And while they are still 3-1 and one, and still anything is possible and they can always fix things up, at least early on, that's not the case. For the Patriots side, uh, <laughs> the... The offense, again, it's the same thing as last week. The offense looks better than the, all of the arguments that people have suggested. Like People are thinking this is the worst offense in the history of mankind. It's not that. Uh, but I don't think it's lived up to the Patriots' expectations, and it's not ideal that Mac Jones and then Brian Hoyer get injured as well. Bailey Zappi, pretty competent, considering he's a third stringer, and I think, um, bold take, uh, I think if slash when Brian Hoyer moves on, Zappi's going to be that backup guy, number two, because he's shown he can at least manage the game. But this season is kind of a, can we see if Mac Jones can handle the new offense? Can the rest of the team handle the new offense? And we move on from there. Denver Broncos, LV Raiders. I was about to say LA Raiders, even though I don't think they were even ever in Los Angeles while I was alive. Regardless of that, Raiders come away with a 32-23 victory. The Raiders finally get some points up on the board, and the Broncos continue to look eh, uh, offensively, though defensively they are... Uh, this overall this season they've been pretty good although this game not as ideal for the Raiders Derek Carr 21 of 34 188 yards no touchdowns or interceptions highlighted pass game catcher Devontae Adams 9 for 101 uh, had the, the bulk of the targets as sort of expected uh, the rushing attack for the, the Raiders is where they really made their uh, bread and butter right? Is that the saying? I don't even know. 38 rush attempts for 212 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Josh Jacobs had a monster game, 28-144, and those two touchdowns. 
On the Broncos' side, Wilson, 17 of 25 for 237, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That looks pretty good, but again, it felt like the offense just wasn't moving as well as they could. Uh, the rushing game, not really existent, 20 attempts, 85 yards. Uh, and the, the catch game was kind of spread across all of their receivers. Again, the Broncos and Raiders kind of falling into the same sort of situation. The Broncos offensively aren't what we expected them to be. I think this might have been one of their better performances, but still not great. Defensively, they're still as dominant as ever, and that's not too surprising. But moving forward, they really got to figure out what's up with this, right? Hackett was coming in as an offensive guy. And the fact that the offense still hasn't clicked is kind of concerning a few weeks in, though it might be because of different scheme shifts or something like that. For the Raiders, if they can keep this up, then they're fine going forward. They're still at the bottom of the division. Got to, you know, catch up to the Chargers and more importantly, the Chiefs. But this is the first decent step going forward. We'll see how they can proceed from here, though. Not not too much to talk about, honestly, in this game. because uh, It was kind of a you know regular game, as far as I could tell, at least. Oh, actually, one thing that uh, could be interesting to note um, that I actually just remembered. Uh, with the injury to Javante Williams, who is likely out for the remainder of the season, Melvin Gordon is probably going to take a significant uh, amount of the carries. And uh, while it's normally fine, Gordon's been a, a veteran in the league for a while and has been pretty productive. Uh, he has had a fumbling issue this season that could be difficult for the Broncos, who already are sort of offensively stymied. So something to think about going forward. It's nighttime, you know what that means. It's time for football. Kansas City Chiefs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a rematch of that wonderful Super Bowl where the Bucs kind of just steamrolled the Chiefs. Uh, in this game, kind of the opposite. The Chiefs kind of put a beating on the Buccaneers 41-31, though honestly it felt much worse than that. It doesn't help when the first play of the game is a kickoff return fumble uh, that the Bucs had, so that's not ideal. And then from there, it just kind of rolls from that point. At one point, the game was 38-17 uh, midway through the third, and while the Bucks were able to score some points at the later half, uh, not great. The Bucks overall this season have felt like they're struggling, right? It, it, uh, maybe that's just me. It feels like everything is a struggle on the Bucks' side. Uh, you don't, I don't think you would want, A, uh, no matter how good Tom Brady is, I feel like if a quarterback is throwing over 50 times a game and you're not having a ferocious comeback, that's kind of concerning. Brady, 39 attempts, or it's not 39 times, 39 completions, which is good, but 52 attempts, 385 yards, three touchdowns, no interception. He himself had a good statistical game. Uh, the rushing attack literally did not exist. And you know what I mean by that? Six attempts, three yards. Granted, they had a touchdown on the ground, but still, that's not, no, no. You want a balanced attack, or even people that want to lean one way or the other, don't lean 99% one way, 1% the other. Uh, which isn't great. Uh, the pass-catching targets, though, had a field day here, whether it was Mike Evans, who had eight catches for 103 yards and two touchdowns, Chris Godwin had seven catches for 59, Leonard Fournette, seven catches for 57, uh, and just more and more from there. Uh, but unable to handle the, the pure might, effectively, of the Kansas City Chiefs, Mahomes, 23 of 37, 249, three touchdowns, one interception. That interception was not a great decision. But outside of that, probably a fantastic game for him. Uh, what He was doing his best Michael Vick impression of just avoiding everybody and flicking the ball as best as he could. Of course, there's the one highlight play where he's near the goal line and avoids a tackle, spins away uh, from a defender, and kind of just like lobs it up for, I think that was uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, with the catch for the touchdown. And that was just, you know, one of those like, Mahomes gonna Mahomes, and he just does what he does best. Rushing game for the Chiefs, 
great as well. 37 attempts for 189 yards and two touchdowns. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had 19 carries for 92 yards. Uh, Pacheco had 11 carries for 63 yards as well, and that just kind of adds to it. The Chiefs have been getting back on groove, right? Even though the Colts match was not ideal for them, they are starting to show, hey, maybe we're not as explosive as we were previously without Tyreek Hill. We're still good at what we do. We're still offensive. We're still able to put points up on the board. We just throw it to different people now, whether it's Travis Kelsey, who had nine catches for 92 yards, whether it's uh, Smith-Schuster, who had five catches for 46 yards, Valdez-Scantling, three catches for 63 yards, and just more players there that are just coming back and being like, hey, you can throw me the ball. I'm here. So just there you go from that point of view, right? Um, and then from, from here... Chiefs are moving forward with as much momentum as any team in the league right now uh, on top of the AFC West. Bucks tied for the top of the West, or top of the South, sorry, with the Atlanta Falcons of all teams, and they go head-to-head next week for control of the division for now at least. So that's going to be an interesting game going forward because if the Bucks lose that, then I'm starting to get real concerned about how Tampa Bay is approaching things. The final game to talk about, we're at Monday Night Football now. The 49ers and the Rams go head-to-head, and the 49ers come away with a 24-9 victory. Um, This was rough on the Rams side of things. Uh, Whether it was the pick six, the constant pressure on Stafford, the inability to make big plays, uh, they were struggling tremendously in this game. And it's kind of concerning at this point, uh, at least from, from my perspective, because... While I don't think anyone was expecting, you know, some sort of uh, greatest show on turf type of performance, I think people were expecting the offense to be a little bit better, though, uh, than than this. Uh, for the 49ers, they're able to uh, kind of get back in the groove of things after the rough matchup against the Broncos. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, let's, let's go into the stats now. Garoppolo, 16-27 uh, for 239, a touchdown, no picks. The rush game, 22 attempts for 88 yards, kind of spread around. Uh, Sorry, uh, Wilson carried 18 of those attempts, uh, and then the last couple spread across a few other players. Uh, big play by Deville Samuel, six catches for 115 yards, including a huge 57-yard touchdown that he's able to just catch and run, get past a bunch of defenders, break a couple tackles, tackles and gets into the end zone. Um, and overall, 49ers kind of do a normal 49ers game, or at least when things go right. On the Rams side of things, 32 for 48, 254 yards passing for Matt Stafford, no touchdowns, and that pick six mentioned previously, uh, Hufunga, with the interception return for a touchdown, just jumped right in front of a screen pass. It was, you know, a perfect defensive play. The rush game, 18 attempts for 57 yards. They kind of went away from it at a certain point. And the pass game, Cooper Cup, as usual, dominant as he is, 14 catches for 122 yards. He had 19 targets. Tyler Higbee, 10 catches, 14 targets, 73 yards. The rest of the team, not a lot. And that's kind of the issue. This, the, the Rams at this point are kind of, uh, we have maybe two options to pass to. And that's not what they wanted to do. Last year was so good because they had so many different people to give the ball to. This is not quite the same. And while Cooper Cup is still going to collect all the stats because he's still one of, if not the best wide receivers in the game, everybody else has to kind of get on board. Whether it's they're not able to get on board with the scheme or the scheme isn't letting them get open or the style or whatever it is, they got to figure out how to fix that and fix that quickly or this offense is going to be spinning in circles for a while. That is the end of this week four recap brought to you by um, me. Uh... <laughs> on here on Adoran Talk Sports. Be sure to subscribe, follow if you haven't already. Next week, week five, we're halfway, or not halfway, I was about to say, we're a quarter of the way through the season now, and so now we really start to get started with claims and bold takes and everything like that because then there's now starting we're starting to get into that point there's a lot of backlog at this point we've seen a lot of games we've seen them being tested by multiple teams 
now we're starting to make conclusions. Maybe some overreactions, but still some conclusions nevertheless. As always, be sure to subscribe, follow if you haven't already. Thank you so much for the support and everything that you do to help support the podcast here. And until next time, take care.